for January 14th, 2019. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 550, The Birds and the Bees and the Buzzers. This is Overthinking It where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out, talking about the things that interest us, the things that we do, uh, the things that the, the pop culture that we intend to consume, and the pop culture that we happen to consume along the way. I am uh, Matt Rather. I am here with my very good Overthinking It friends, Matthew Belinky. Hello, Matt. I feel like you should be doing the thing where you go around the circle with like a, this awkward conversation starter that's been scripted ahead of time. Yeah. So it's like, so I hear you like to knit something unusual. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I hear, uh, Matt, I hear you once had a giant size plush Charmander. It was, I mean, it depends how you define giant, but I suppose, I suppose the plush Charmander is the operative part there. And besides, I guess it depends, it depends how you define once because I once did and I also still do. (laughs) Very, very, very interesting. Uh, Pete Fenzel, you've been working out in the garage, even though it's cold outside. (laughs) That's right. It was well under 20 degrees in there this weekend, Fahrenheit. For those of you who don't read Fahrenheit, that means it was really cold. And so we've been balaclaving it and, and wearing lots of layers. It's been uh, it's been an adventure. Uh, that's uh, that's amazing. Do you put the space heater next to the pile of oily rags? <laughs> no. <laughs> A, we don't have a space heater, and Ooh. B, we do have a number of gallons of gasoline in there that we have to be careful about. So the only so yeah. the, ol- the only heat you generate is from all the gains. <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's the fire inside that drives us, and also keeps us from hypothermia. That and not making eye contact with the beautiful woman trying to put a warm blanket on us and telling us to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, very, very good. And we have another guest on Overthinking It today. It's uh, it's our friend Mark Lee. Mark, surely there's nothing interesting that's happened in your life in the last, say, four weeks. I mean, I watched a lot of Jeopardy. That's pretty interesting, <laughs> right? Which is why we're talking about uh, our topic today, Jeopardy. Oh, yes. And uh, before I mentioned, I had a life event as I'm <laughs> describing the birth of my child. So that happened, and that caused me to watch a lot of Jeopardy, which caused me to suggest it as a topic for this oh, week's show. Mark, we've all seen pictures of your son. Um, it's, uh, it's, and, and I like that the birth of your child did not prevent you from dressing up the dog in your Christmas card. So there was a baby and a dog who was dressed up in an elf in an elf costume, if I remember correctly. I mean, when you have small, more small creatures, it just ups the ante for everyone. And so the dog is like, I got to up my game here in order to keep attention. Right. Therefore, I shelt on the ridiculous outfit. Has to, yeah, the dog has to bring cuteness game on a level that, that is heretofore unimagined for a pretty cute dog. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, this level of banter, by the way, is much better than what you get on Jeopardy, which is pretty awkward and often ends with the withering good for you. <laughs> can't think of anything to add to that because it wasn't that interesting. Oh, well, Mark, you, you had a you had a son. You brought new life into the world together with your wonderful wife. Good for you. <laughs> good there you for go. you. So what, how, do, how, do, how does Jeopardy enter into it? 
into what? Into the uh, the, the child the story, rearing yeah, process? In, into child rearing. How, how is Jeopardy, oh. Mark, an essential tool of child rearing? <laughs> so, Matt, when a man and a woman fall in love, oh, yeah. and, or a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, Alex Trebek shows up. Oh, wow. And, and then they find a third person and compete for fabulous cash and prizes. No, Mark, go ahead. Explain, explain the birds and the bees and the buzzers to Matt. Look, no prizes, though, just cash, right? <laughs> That's true. Here's the thing is that there's not a lot of parenting and child rearing at the beginning. It's a lot of just keep the kid alive and tend to its nutrition and dirty diaper needs while it's not sleeping. And so in between all those things, there's a lot of time to watch television, frankly. And um, I'm not the kind of person who will like decide to catch up on Game of Thrones or something like that. I wanted really extremely lightweight television to watch. And thankfully, recently, Jeopardy! was added to various streaming catalogs including netflix and hulu and possibly others as well and oh but when you watch on netflix jeopardy is amazing because there's no commercials and you just like mainline that stuff and you get question after question hurled at you and it is just glorious bliss and you just kind of like go with the flow and your brain just you know gets you know is engaged just enough um, at just the right level before you have to go back and like tend to the child. So that's why I've been watching Jeopardy a lot. I mean, can we go? We want to. So so let's let's dive into Jeopardy a little bit, and also into into game shows uh, in particular. Can we just go once around the horn uh, in, I guess, in alphabetical order and talk and and give a uh, favorite game show? Is that a is that a good first game that we can play? Um, let's let's try it, Matt. Are you uh, are are you a fan of any game show above all others? You know, it used to be The Price Is Right for me, and yeah. like I did have a dream of like going there and wearing like a a, a price tag shaped name tag that says Matt, and like dancing down the aisle and like being super enthusiastic. But the older I get, the somehow like the, the the more I realize that like what would happen is I would just get up there and somebody would outbid me by a dollar every time. And I would just never get the chance to, like, uh, play Plinko. And so I feel like Jeopardy seems a little more de- – like, if I fail on Jeopardy, it's my own fault. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Pete, uh, what about what about you? What's your uh, uh, game show number one? Oh, gosh. I mean, of course, everybody has a big soft spot in their hearts for The Price is Right. But when I was very little, before I could even form full sentences, I was known to run into a room excitedly, point at the TV and yell, Fam Fu! Fam food, because uh, I was a big fan of the Family Feud, even before I was a fan of the English language, uh. which, I, as you might know, I'm a big, pretty big fan of. So, watching the Family Feud kind of grow and change over time in ways that Jeopardy has not, and, and grow is debatable, right? It's uh, like we ask a hundred people, "What's something that grows?" We said, "Beep! What are you saying? That's crazy, right?" Like that's kind of what the Family Feud is right now. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know. It's um. I, I guess I consider I guess I consider the uh, the death of Ray Combs to be like a great tragedy. <laughs> and there's something about and I'm laughing because it's it, I shouldn't laugh at the fact that the death of Ray Combs is a great tragedy. But the Ray Combs family feud was my jam. And, uh, uh, yeah. you know, that was then. And Ray Combs, of course, had a very troubled man who projected a great deal of enthusiasm and joy into his work uh, that perhaps was not with him behind closed doors. And um We've had a number of Family Feud hosts over the years. And for me, it's not like the game of Family Feud is actually good. It's not a good game. And I watch a lot of game shows, and it's not the best game. But the host of the Family Feud is the best hosting job in game shows. I would say even better than uh, than Jeopardy, as is demonstrated by the fact that quote-unquote legit celebrity Steve Harvey has had it on lock for a bunch of years now and has made something of a viral video success merely of clips from his show. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So I would say that, like, all time, if my, the biggest uh, – 
spot in my heart goes to goes to Ray Combs and his work bringing joy to a kid who didn't really understand sampling or surveying or or any of those sorts of things, but appreciated the thrill and excitement of fast money. Does so. Does anyone know what procedure you have to go through to be part of the survey? Because like, that would <laughs> that would be like a life. I don't even want to play on Family Feud, but I would love to be part of the hundred. I mean, it isn't. I always. I, I mean, it's probably not this case. But uh, but I th- always thought it was the audience because they have 100 people. They could easily bring in 100 people in the audience and just ask them. Right. But uh, yes, I don't like that idea. I like the idea that like the the survey, they have an independent third party that's that's doing these surveys under like, you know, laboratory conditions. Yeah, little little known fact. Nate Silver got his start uh, as a family <laughs> feud phone banker. A phone yeah, 538 was originally called 100. <laughs> Apparently I'm, re- I'm reading about it now. Apparently family feud surveyors approach random people in shopping malls and other public places. At least people who have been surveyed have said, oh, yes, I'm I was surveyed for the Family Feud. Uh, I, I don't know if this can be confirmed, right? If this can be independently confirmed, because if I wanted for some reason to fake survey somebody, I would potentially say that I was from the Family Feud. But it's probably, I think, uh, looking at another source here, and it says it's a polling firm that does it by random digit dialing, which is much more of a robust process than you would have thought, but would indicate that perhaps the Family Feud surveys are under capturing cell phones. Huh. So uh, <laughs> who knows, yeah. right? Who knows? Right, exactly. Yeah. The, so, so you're saying that the results of the polls of the survey skew older, right? And more uh, skew older and, and sort of more established, older yeah. and wealthier, I suppose. Everybody would have knows that suspenders would be doing much better at all those surveys if people under the age of 40 were answering them more often. Uh, yeah, so. name, name five things you snap. Or what is it? Eight <laughs> you snap. Mark, are, yeah. are you, uh, Mark, are you, do you stand for, for Trebek? Uh, or uh, do you have a, a different game show that you like better? I mean, Jeopardy is far and away my favorite game show, but I'll, we're going to talk more about that later. So I'll put something out there as a challenge to you. Uh, the rest of the panel to say whether this is a game show or not. I'm going to say American Ninja Warrior. I think it's a game show and I love it. Eh? That's funny because when my first nephew was born, American Ninja Warrior was the jeopardy of our family. Like when we we would visit, that show would uh, be on rotation, right? Nonstop. That was the sort of soothing baby needs to be nourished and protected from something falling on its head, right? Like uh, like uh, <laughs> like rest television. Yeah, I love him. I mean, why American Ninja Warrior and not just Ninja Warrior? Because it's on TV now. Wait, it's, there's uh, what, what, what Ninja Warrior uh, implies that uh, it happens outside of these United States. Um, why would I be interested in that beat when there's an American <laughs> ninja? I, I'm actually serious. I don't remember wasn't aware there was a ninja warrior. I just really? assumed that yeah, no, no, no. It was originally like a jab, like that's why it's Mount Matoriyama is originally, uh, and they, they just okay. straight up imported that. Um, and it was, I mean, it the was whole serious mountain. They, they imported yeah, the no, whole they, mountain. They just brought it. it's teaspoonful of dirt by teaspoonful of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but is it a game question, show? Mark, I think. It's, I think. No, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and argue that it's not because I think for it to be a game show, there needs to be an element of strategy and strategy beyond like try not to fall down if possible. <laughs> like you need to make like a, a strategic decision in Jeopardy. Like you can decide how much you what categories to play, how much to bet on daily doubles and Final Jeopardy in something like Wheel. There's you know like you obviously have to solve the puzzle. Um, but I feel like if it's just sort of like try to get to the end of this obstacle course there's not enough uh strategery for it to be a game show and it's just a competition show is is double dare a game show yeah i'd say i'd say it's a game show because you can always pick right whether to take the physical challenge is uh (laughs) is legends of the hidden temple a game show 
Yeah, oh, definitely, because, like, you got to decide whether to go, you know, up to the Shrine of the Silver Monkey or, like, down into the... Oh, I wish I remember... Oh, too late! A temple guard has grabbed you! Yeah, exactly. You, <laughs> it's, it's, I would argue that that's, um, Legends of the Hidden Temple appears to be a game show, but, in fact, it's, it's there's no way to win. Yeah, so it's, in, it's, in fact, it's, like, bear... What is. It's bear-baiting, or it's a public humiliation kind of show. <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, they're all, you know, the, um, Dwayne Johnson now is produced a show called titan games uh that is the kind of the latest sort of physical challenge to take a term from yeah. double dare <laughs> you know what um, is a game show though is the hunger games is definitely a game show because there are so there's strategy, strategy. there's an element of like the 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 uh outside viewers can sort of send things into the game can send power-ups wait like the wait, 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 wait wait so by that if the hunger games are the are a game show then survivors a game show or is it a reality yeah, show? I would say. Yeah. Mm. Right, I mean, it's auto is a reality competition. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, there. I feel like the whole the whole thing has has it, fallen apart. It here. feels that like a game show has to be time boxed in some way. That a game show is not about like we're going to follow these people over like weeks and see their journey. It's like there there's like you know, at most it'll take like a day. There was that game show I used to love watching where they would like lock people in a storefront and keep them up for 24 hours. Oh yeah, yeah, cram. I love cram, that. Cram, right. Yeah. So so the idea is that like and then and then um for the final challenge, they would they Wait, would What is that like the Dick Cheney game show? That sounds terrible. What is what great. So the, the final challenge is like after they keep you up for 24 hours, they put you in a really cozy room, turn off the lights, make you lie down, and then somebody in a really soothing voice will just read you the answers to what, <laughs> what will be the final quiz. And then like after 30 minutes of that, they'll like wake you up with an alarm clock and ask you the questions really quickly. So the, the idea behind Cram is that you, you are awake in a public storefront for a full day before you go on the game show and you are given a binder or a book that includes the answers to all the questions you're going to be asked in the game show. And when you are in the game show, you have to perform various sorts of physical feats in a partnership with another person in order to also answer the questions. So like somebody will have to like run over and pick something up and run back and everybody's really tired and stumbling all over the place. It's actually a marvelous, a marvelous show. Uh, I think there's a contest where you have to like row an erg or like ride a bicycle and to keep a light illuminated. So the other person can answer questions and yeah as matt said the final round is a is a real uh, test of the human being's biological and cognitive limits by putting you in just a really comfy bed with the lights out getting the soothing <laughs> answers read to you it's glorious it's absolutely glorious so my my favorite game show uh, in the tradition of like watching night court and police academy and things that were inappropriate for me as a child uh i liked both the dating game and the newlywed game um as as a child before i really even knew what making whoopee was but uh the uh the number one for me was hollywood squares at, oh yeah with joan rivers as the center square and shadow stevens i think was bottom center he was the he was the the silver-tongued announcer with the rich chocolatey baritone of a of a mark lee or a john parrich or something like that the the that and then you know celebrities uh around in in the squares and the way that hollywood squares work was that uh the cele- you pick a square to move to to put your x or your o in and uh, that celebrity is asked a question 
the celebrity sitting in that square and the life-size, like, three-story-tall tic-tac-toe board with people sitting behind desks in, in each of the nine squares is asked a question. Uh, they first rattle off uh, a little quippy answer that was written by the writing staff of the, of the <laughs> television show. And then they try to make an answer, and you can agree or disagree. So that if they clearly don't know, you can disagree and you will win that square. If you don't win this square, though, the cool mechanic of, of Hollywood Squares is that it goes the other way. So, like, it's possible for someone to win tic-tac-toe in a turn and a half, uh, you know, because the uh, the the square will go. Oh, if you're X and you you agree or disagree incorrectly with uh, with Joan Rivers, with the the sublime and wonderful Joan Rivers. I just I I had so much fun, and it seemed uh, it seemed so glamorous to me somehow to have like Joan Rivers and the uh, chocolatey voiced Shadow Stevens and the you know and. Paul Rodriguez and Sinbad and I'm trying to think like like uh, uh, Susan Day from L.A. Law. I, I'm trying to think of 80s celebrities who would be in the um, in the the Hollywood Squares box. It seemed so uh, decadent to me that you could have just a sort of a little jewel box of of celebrities. Um, that you know, I'd, uh, that you know, we're kind of there for for your amuse, amusement, and we're kind of rooting for you to win or or not to win, as the the case may be. I don't know. That's that's what that's what I watched. But uh, I well, don't Matt, know. Matt, yeah. did you ever did you ever play the Nintendo Entertainment System eight bit adaptation of Hollywood Squares? No, I didn't have that on my <laughs> on my NES. It's a delight. It's an absolute delight. Uh, it's uh, I remember renting it because I was also a big fan of Hollywood Squares. That's a great show. Uh, and, and one that has been revived at least once, I believe, over time. But, uh, yeah, it's not actual celebrities. It, it really calls into question how much the celebrity, the, the Hollywood aspect is necessary. Uh, although I guess the characters in Hollywood Squares who go by names like Rob or Joe or Eddie, right? And they're not like actual famous people, but are played as sort of like really smiley folks, right? Uh, they, I guess they could be considered to be Hollywood, but they're not in fact stars. Uh, and they have, they do give you the quippy answers before every single question, right? So, you know, it'll be, uh, it, it, and they're all, of course, the writers for 8-bit Nintendo games are among the best that you're ever going to find. So they're really, it's really glorious. I'd recommend checking it out. <laughs> um, but, uh, but Mark Jeopardy is, is, uh, is the king for you. So why is, why is Jeopardy? Why is, why is this show different from all other shows? Uh, two reasons. One, it's breakneck pace, right? Uh-huh. Just like, uh, just bombards you with question after question. And so there's like a lot of value, uh, relative to the time that you spend in it. So that's pretty great. Um, and the other is, uh, you know, it appeals to the the to the intellectual interests. Um, you know, I was like, I think uh, more than one person on this podcast. I did quiz bowl in middle school and in high school, um, and love having my esoteric knowledge be rewarded and have that be rewarded in the world. Um, and so that's why I like Jeopardy. It's it's it's, it's pretty simple, um, but kind of keying off of that, I want to pose a question to 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 the rest of you guys, um, which is that is Jeopardy highbrow television sure you mean uh, highbrow i mean i guess i'll answer first but other people could answer too i would say that it is highbrow i don't i would in the sense that it is formal and it is kind of uh 
you know, in this sort of high culture versus low culture, uh, I would say that, yeah, it's um, it has a formality to it. It has a composition to it. It has a self-possession to it and self-limit and limitations that it sets on itself that indicate that it's participating in an aristocratic sort of formality. Uh-huh. And, and in that sense, I would suggest that it is a show that is dwelling in a high culture space rather than a low culture space. Uh, although not everything that dwells in a high culture space might necessarily be high brow. So, like, for example, if you were to watch the animated film Charlotte's Web, right, and then go and see like a stage adaptation of Charlotte's Web, I would consider that it is very likely the stage adaptation of Charlotte's Web is going to be high brow. Uh, or at least formal, right? It's going to have a sort of sense of formality. and uh, But I wouldn't necessarily say that the actual animated cartoon, it probably is a little bit, but like, um, but like there's something about the kind of tone and composure and performance of Jeopardy above and beyond its actual content, although the content is a factor and what questions they choose to put up there is also a factor uh, that indicates that it's kind of like a, a fancy or upper class, not upper class in terms of wealth, but in, in formal versus informal is probably a better way of putting it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do, is Jeopardy highbrow or, or not highbrow? Pete, I would have I would have pegged it as middlebrow. <laughs> okay. Because okay. there's there's sort of an aspirational like I, I think of I think of like Jeopardy as being along the lines of like subscribing to Reader's Digest or something like that. <laughs> wow, sick burn. Oh, is it? I, Go on. I, I, but a lot of people subscribe to Reader's Digest because they like they want knowledge about the world, you know, and want the um want that I don't know. I, I, because like I think of highbrow as as sort of opera, as you know, aristocratic um aristocratic practice right and it seems like uh aristoc- jeopardy is i mean pete you talked about kind of formalism as a as a mark of aristocracy but i think a formalism is not really a mark of uh aristocracy uh, aristocrats are are real aristocrats are libertine and uh borderline sociopathic you know like formalism is is uh a marker of the middle class, I think that that like because there's something aspirational and there's there's a, a sense of like climbing, of bettering yourself, or of you know of like of you know it's it's a Jeopardy Jeopardy is akin to what to masterpiece on on PBS in the pre Downton Abbey days. Um, Back, you know, back before it was uh, back before it was sort of appointment appointment viewing kind of stuff. Um, you don't think that Alistair Cookie is like a highbrow aristocratic uh, television host? Uh, who who is Alistair Cookie or Cook? Alistair Cook? Yeah, who is, who is <laughs> he? He was the host of Masterpiece Theater or Monsterpiece oh, Theater. Right. Oh, in the case monster- of Alistair, oh Cook. Alistair Cookie. Yeah. <laughs> see, see, yeah. Um, no, Monsterpiece Theater is. Uh, is highbrow uh, absolutely because of the anarchic nature? That's like you know, I, Monsterpiece Theater is is basically uh, eyes wide shut for furries, you know. You know, I always felt that Jeopardy seemed highbrow in comparison to sort of its its twin uh, Wheel of Fortune. Right, that are sort of part of the same hour of, of syndicated uh, game show. But I feel like that's largely because of the sort of directorial choices of Wheel of Fortune, which tends to be sort of like bright, like the sets are always much brighter and more animated. Sometimes they have like a literally animated version of Pat Sajak and Vanna White, even the presence of Vanna White, right? Like you can never, you would never imagine like a sort of a attractive woman sort of like being, I mean, I guess they do have the quiz 
uh, crew at Jeopardy, but like you wouldn't imagine like Vanna White being like, I'm here at the Godard Space Center to present the next clue. It's much more like like Wheel seems more gaudy, a little more circus circus um, in Vegas terms. But it also is like, I mean, they're very different shows because uh, not to geek out too much, but like Jeopardy is like a test of of your wisdom stat and Wheel is more a test of your intelligence stat, right? Or to put it in a different way for those of you who who don't aid D&D, like Jeopardy is mainly a test of what you already know. Like there is a lot of thinking on your feet that has to be done. But at the end of the day, like you either know a thing or you don't, whereas wheel is a lot more like what can you figure out on the fly under the gun? I also feel like Wheel of Fortune, the people who are on Wheel of Fortune don't seem to be good at Wheel of Fortune. I feel like if, <laughs> if the people who are on Wheel of Fortune were good at Wheel of Fortune, Wheel of Fortune would be a lot harder to watch because you can win it very fast if you actually know what you're doing, right? Maybe maybe well, I'm speaking but, out of turn here, but... I mean, I'm not a wheel expert either, but I feel like the game is created in a way that it incentivizes you not to solve the puzzle right away because the idea is that the more you spend, the more money you make, although your chances of hitting the bankrupt... I'm sure Wheel of Fortune is a solved game and some... You know, game this, uh, the John Nash of uh, of game shows has like calculated exactly how much you should spin the wheel before you solve the puzzle, assuming that you know the puzzle. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, that is an interesting an interesting question because the people who play Jeopardy generally seem. I mean, do we feel like they're casting the most talented Jeopardy players that they can find, or are they looking for the most talented Jeopardy players and then taking it down just a notch or two? So that there's some fallibility, there's some <laughs> humanness in the Jeopardy players, and they're not just like crazy autodidactic uh, savants. I I kind of feel like the people who are on Jeopardy are really really good. I, I mean I don't know what because certainly the people that I know who've got on Jeopardy are legit, and I've certainly taken the Jeopardy quiz a whole bunch of times myself and haven't gotten through. So I mean I'm assuming it's because I'm not good at the quiz or something or I'm screwing up or something like that. But it, I mean certainly from what I've heard, there's a lot of competitiveness and statistics and like people developing and training themselves for Jeopardy to get good at Jeopardy and really perform. Uh, but I mean I guess this this is a different sort of conversation because I guess now what we're talking about is our experience of it. So I'll turn it back to Mark. Mark, watching Jeopardy, do you think the people playing Jeopardy are good at Jeopardy? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So just to circle back something about like, you know, to answer my original question about is it highbrow or lowbrow? Um, I, I like Matt's ex- uh, slightly cop out answer that it's middlebrow because it does speak to the experience of watching it, how the questions get much more difficult as the show progresses by design. Right. Um, you know, like uh, when you go from the top of the board to the bottom of the board in the category and then going from uh, Jeopardy into Double Jeopardy. Right. That, that that at least is my observed experience. And by the time you get like uh, easily like, you know, the, the bottom part of the first half and then certainly into, into Double Jeopardy, like the the it is, you would go well, well beyond common knowledge. Um, and I'm, you know, uh, I am frankly, I'm relieved, like, you know, someone myself who. Uh, you know, who was pretty freaking good at Quiz Bowl, and and I, I fancy myself as someone who has a pretty wide uh, knowledge base. Like I'm stumped pretty regularly by it. So, um, and that's kind of why you know I even pose a question: why it's quote unquote highbrow? Because um, I find it really interesting that a show that is very I can, I believe it's very popular. You know, it's 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 well known. It's an ensconced in popular culture, but like when you get to you know Greek obscure Greek Norse mythology and Shakespeare and scientific terms like this, it is like well off the radar 
of large swaths of American population. And so I'm like fascinated by uh, that aspect of it while it still remains accessible. So, um, yeah, I think it's hard. Red Jeopardy is freaking hard. I'm interested in this point that Matt's brought up where which and this sort of nexus here, this kind of two axes of uh, uh, you can think of a game show. Game shows involve a performance of status, I think, across the board, and they certainly involve performance of relative different levels of formality or, or social class or whatever you want to say. But to bring that down, it's it's interesting to think in your game show, are you is the level at which the person is sort of performing their identity at the game show a reflection of them in an intrinsic and necessary sort of way? Like, this is who this person is. Or are they acting in such a way as to be on the game show? Which would intersect somewhat with this notion of kind of highbrow, lowbrow, formal, informal. Uh, do you really think that people and their identities break down by social classes? Or do individual people who might have different sorts of economic means perform in different roles depending upon the context, right? That they can perform in a particular sort of formal way or a particular sort of informal way. Like they can kind of speak or talk or act. And it is interesting to think about something like, say, who wants to be a millionaire, right? Where there's just this really, this aura and Jeopardy has this too, this aura that kind of surrounds and fills the performance that seems to transform people uh, or call for them to act in a very specific sort of way. Um, I don't know. Uh, in any any like sta- any any uh, game show performances by contestants that stand out to you guys as kind of yeah. saying something interesting about identity and formality. I mean, it is, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is a great example because it really created that weird thing where you have to talk through your thought process like you can't just answer the question even if you know the answer you have to explain exactly how you know the you have to slumdog millionaire it and 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 be like you know how do i know that or like what degree of certainty and like really discuss your like interior monologue um as part of the the sort of convention of the show or the same as the price is right is that like you have to be hyper enthusiastic like that's sort of the role that you inhabit as a competitor on the show uh you know so in a way like you become an actor right when you plan one of these shows Right. And now there are shows like The Great British Bake Off, the show I've often mentioned, Guys, Your Street Games, the longtime best running show on television. Uh, and we're like <laughs> the unsurpassed and unsurpassable <laughs> greatest work of television ever. Except by Ray Combs and Family Feud, which I would put a, just a notch above Guys. Femi, Games. What did you say? Femi Food. Fam Food. Fam Food. Oh, Fam Food. Fam Food. <laughs> But in in shows like, you know, Great British Bake Off, you're finding like the show will stop and then you'll learn more about the contestant and like talk to them at home or see their family or they'll make a confessional like a reality show to explain to you what's going on. And that also somewhat seems like who wants to be a millionaire where they want to see you experience in a sort of meta interior exterior making whatever is happening inside of you apparent on the outside so that everybody can experience the point between the question and the answer uh, as being itself something that is a, a moment of possibility and becoming and of change like jeopardy as as marx just mainlines it it's like question tension answer question tension answer right Clench release, clench release. <laughs> like Alex Trebek is, you know, he's standing straight up. Clench release, clench release. <laughs> right. Uh, whereas a lot of the other shows these days are like clench 
clench and game shows, right? Release, release, clench, release. And it, and and the answer only really comes about over time yeah. after after rumination. There's like multiple acts to it. Or well, there's like, like there's like a Pete, there's like a fractal sphincter manipulation. That, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> I think that's why Pat Sajak was hospitalized in the late eighties <laughs> on on these shows because Mark identified a kind of a rising tension, uh, and and within that there are kind of cycles, mini cycles of of uh, clench and release as you go, uh, but all in the service of a macro trend of of an ever tighter clench. So yeah, it's at, like yeah. a, it's like uh, amplitude and frequency, right? right it's that, like, like that. Jeopardy. Jeopardy has like a very uh, I might be getting these two wrong, but it like you know has a high frequency, right? But the amplitude is low. Like the tension in any given question is uh, very quickly resolved. Whereas that other shows, or or I mean, if we were to consider uh, American Ninja Warrior to be a game show, right? Like there's a lot of buildup there. Like each contestant has like a whole package of backstory about how they've been training, what this means to them, what the stakes are. And then you see them run it, and there's like you know this huge wave of of this game show wave, and it, and it crests and breaks when they succeed or fail. And then there's like you know this sort of after action report where you get to see the slow motion replay of them sort of crashing down into the pool. Um, so there's like a lot less of those waves, but each wave is much higher. The the I mean, let me just point out that the name of the show is Jeopardy. Right. Like it means danger. It means peril, you know, Um, though. I checked I checked uh, my etymology dictionary uh, and it's apparently the word Jeopardy is from apparently the Middle English U party, I-U-P-A-R-T-I from the old French Jeu Jeu party, which Jeu means game or je, I, I can't pronounce French, and then parti means divided or evenly divided. So Jeopardy is both this, the sense of... Um, uh, Jeopardy is both. Oh, sorry. Let me finish reading this. The term was originally used in chess and other games to denote a problem or position in which the chances of winning and losing were evenly balanced. Hence, uh, a dangerous situation. So the sense of of danger is that like it's a it, you're on a knife's edge or you're it's a fifty fifty uh, shot as to to whether you whether you win or you lose. That's not the case in in actual Jeopardy. But like th- in Jeopardy, which means danger, it's funny that the the board, the like the video board is evenly divided, you know, is actually kind of like a chessboard in that uh, in that there are kind of rows, re- regular repetition of rows and columns and e- in each square, in each cell, um, one clue, like one opportunity for play. But let's talk about the Jeopardy, right, with the, the danger yeah. in the um, in the in the uh, daily doubles, right? Um, the, it's an interesting pew, moment. Pew, pew, of, pew, 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 right, right, right. Pew. Yes, um, uh, it's it's interesting interjections of surprise and what is otherwise an extremely as we've been talking about like force march through the board, um, and it's like a moment for drama for suspense. There, the thing I love the most about the Daily Double, and I'll turn it over to you guys for your thoughts on it as well, is like how Alex really goads and tempts uh, the contestants into making it a true Daily Double. And um, kind of shames them if they don't. Um, like the, I mean, we can talk about the daily double. We can talk about Trebek's um, the unique qualities that he brings to it as well. But um, that's like that's those are the. Are, I would argue that the daily doubles are the best moments for the show, right? You know, we that's why you watch. I mean, like you come for the force march through the questions, but stay for the daily doubles. 
Or stay for Tre- I mean, or stay for Trebek. I mean, it's let us now praise famous Trebeks. That's let us now praise famous mustaches. That is, uh, yeah, he he is. I think his unflappability. You know, Pete described him as standing erect, standing upright. <laughs> you know, like that. There is there is a question, and he definitely brings a sort of an aspirational quality to it. Like, don't you feel like if you met Alex Trebek, you'd really want him to like you and think you're smart? You know, I I would anyway. I, I, in my, in my uh, fantasies of meeting Alex Trebek, he's like, Matt, you should win all of Jeopardy. Um, That's, uh, but, but maybe that's, that's just me. I don't know. What, what are your impressions of, of Trebek? Hearing none, there are no impressions of. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I mean, what? What is? <laughs> do you, I mean, and, and let me let me uh, put it another way. Do you feel like he ruined the show when he shaved his mustache? <laughs> yes, hundred <laughs> percent. I don't know. I don't necessarily no. feel that way because he has a sort of a. There's something very Roman about him, right? Something very patrician. I agree. Yeah. Maybe? What do you? Yeah. Say more. Well, I mean, and 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 just to finish that thought, the Romans never would have tolerated a mustache, right? <laughs> they were a clean-shaven people. They would have seen it as like a barbarian affectation, right? After Hadrian. Once you're talking about Hadrian, and, and therefore it would have been fine. But before that, no, it's definitely not. Definitely not. It wouldn't have been okay. That's hilarious. But certainly just a mustache. I don't think I can think of any... First of all, I'm thinking now to see if I can remember any famous Romans who had just a mustache. And secondly, I'm imagining famous statues of famous Romans as if they just had a mustache. <laughs> or with like, is- a, like a sort of a dime store mustache just pasted onto them. <laughs> yeah, he has that sort of continental quality because this is before facial hair became popular again for – uh, for white people, particularly, right? <laughs> As opposed to like the, the facial hair that is, uh, uh, you know, present in, in other kinds of identifications. But it's like, um, yeah, like that. That it was, you know, mustaches are for villains. And Alex Trebek had a mustache and wasn't a villain, which spoke to a kind of different time and place that was being spoken to. I like that you call him Roman. He definitely seems to be the kind of guy where if you met him, you know, in the sort of backwoods of World War One, whether you were on in this from the same country or not, you could exchange a couple of lines of Horace and then kind of go your separate way. Right. Like uh, or you would shoot each other and mourn and like look through each other's papers. Right. It's just like there's this uh, there's this thing about Alex Trebek that speaks to a historicity, some sort of uh, participation in some sort of past event. Uh, that identifies him as a man of the world. And I don't know if it has anything to do with who he is as a person and might just be the character that he plays on TV because they certainly can't be the same, right? Um, All the stories are like, oh, you know, I met him and he was kind of a jerk or like I met him and it was this and like whatever, you know, I don't care. Uh, His big superpower is sort of giving the impression that he knows all the answers, even though you know he's reading them. He sort of has this quality of like, you know, of course – uh, the answer is blank, uh, but without being condescending, like somehow it seems okay that he, you know, is 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 omniscient. He's a little condescending. I think no, he is. I don't. Oh, I don't think he's so. gotten. I feel like he's gotten more condescending. I don't know whether <laughs> it's that he's gotten more condescending as he's gotten older, or I've noticed it more as I've gotten older. I'm not sure. Mark, do you have a take on that? Do you watch old Jeopardy? When is the the Jeopardy that you're watching? Is it current or is it over time? It's it's current. Well, I mean, it's like maybe like from two, three years, uh, three, four years ago. So like it's in HD and it mentions the late aughts. Uh, I'm sorry, the the, um, you know, the late Obama administration. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but like one of the interesting things uh, about Trebek, as especially as he's like, uh, you know, 
uh, going through the, the the clues and and l- letting people know when they got something wrong and reading the right answer is like when he puts the accent on. Have you guys noticed this? When he tries to pronounce something in a foreign language, uh, and he just like does it with just enough a little bit of that little French pronunciation or Spanish accent to things like to show his sophistication uh that you know he he actually knows some stuff um and i find it like totally unnecessary um and kind of ridiculous but again it's all part of the package right like that, that's why we show up is for trebek i mean he's, uh, he's canadian he is canadian so it may be uh he may come by the french accent honestly Oh, that's his, that's uh, his him showing his authentic. Yeah, is exactly. he is he Quebecois? Is Alex no, he's a, no, he's from Ontario, but he's. Uh, I think his mother was was according to to Wikipedia, the source of all truth and knowledge and and Jeopardy questions. Apparently, the um, the uh, his mother was Franco Ontarian, so so he grew up in a, a bilingual household. Um, and the show is. title does have its root in old French, so there, there we go. It all ah, comes Sorry, watch. What would it be? Watch what it would be if it were German? Would just be called Achtung. Would be what the game show would be called if it were German. <laughs> Danger, Danger, Will Robinson. Get down. Yeah, if they, if they. I do like I do like the way it flattens personalities, you know. There I guess there's there's less opportunity for a performance of the self Pete. Was that the point you were making before on Jeopardy? You really do seem to be reduced to your your ability to answer sort of hoity toity bar trivia. Um rather rather than your personality playing a part, like certainly not like in reality shows where political alliances or whatever are part of the whole uh you know part of part of the whole thing but you know not even in there's no there's no element of persuasion the question is either right or or you get the like today sound um which you know is probably haunts the nightmares of the people who have been on the show and like barely lost barely uh uh lost by a, a couple of dollars is the <laughs> the jeopardy the jeopardy is also that you can go negative in jeopardy which is not i feel like is not a normal game show mechanic it seems like there's very often a floor at zero uh but the the idea that you're negative and you have to crawl out of a hole um, if you want to start getting questions right again, is a, a, a unique a unique thing to that game. At least I can't think of any other like game shows off the top of my head that that have that. Do you think that you actually owe the show something if you end negative? Oh, clearly, yeah. There <laughs> there is there is a a Jeopardy debtors prison on the <laughs> on the the grounds of Sony Studios in Culver City where they shoot it. Like there, you know, where you're you are subjected to Dantean tortures, and uh, you, no, they actually just put those people on cram. <laughs> How are you supposed to get out of a debtors prison? I never understood that. Like, I understand that debtors' prisons were a thing, but how could you get out if you couldn't work? Did you work while you were in the prison for, like, and they would help you pay your debts off? Or were you just stuck? You just, like, the game was broken for you. I don't understand. It's, it's almost as if medieval society, society wasn't really organized to maximize economic output. <laughs> <laughs> medieval? I mean, that's, that's oh, a Oh, yeah, there were thing. Victorian uh, debtors' <laughs> yeah. prisons, right? Like, oh, oh, I stand corrected. There were, <laughs> Charles Dickens was in debtors' prison. I mean, he, he I guess, could, could write, but, you know, someone probably have to buy uh pen, you know quill and, and ink at at horrendous markups right 
<laughs> in the in the prison store. You got to trade a bunch of like three cartons of smokes, um, yeah. you know, for for your I, quill yeah. and ink. Wikipedia says you could pay it off via labor or outside funds, which makes sense. Mostly they're saying, does anybody love you enough to get you out? So that's what happens is that if you go negative in Jeopardy, Alex Trebek just asks all of your loved ones if they love you enough to to free you from his clutches by paying him what he's due. Uh, that's and, why and he asks about wives and, and husbands and sleeping and <laughs> others during the awkward interstitiary uh, Q&A. <laughs> Who is secure? Who is who has secured this debt of yours that you are about to endeavor upon? Right? Who will who will pick up the check, uh, as 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 it were? And that's double jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> I stand. I mean, yeah. I, what double double jeopardy in law is the principle that you can't be tried twice for the same crime, right? So they can't just keep taking the state can't just keep taking a whack at you if you get off, you're off. Um, the uh, but double jeopardy and jeopardy is is a good thing. It's it's twice the it's twice the danger. You've already been in danger, but you're you're in the same danger again. Just just more of it, right? There is a. There, I guess this conforms to like certain certain things we know about behavioral psychology or behavioral economics, where we are more. Um, sensible of a potential loss than we are of a potential gain, right? Like, uh, uh, even, even though I guess research shows that, that in times of loss or, or, you know, kind of traumatic experience, all sorts, the, the, our bad reaction is never quite as bad as we imagine that it's going to be. We, um, sort of misapprehend the amount that we're going to hate the bad thing happening getting a you know getting a bad grade or or losing some money or something like that but uh from beforehand we think that like you know getting a jeopardy question right will make us very happy and getting a jeopardy question wrong will will make us very unhappy uh in in reality we're we you know we're the same uh we're the same kind of vaguely unhappy radio shack manager from dubuque that we always were making awkward conversation with with alex Trebek. Mark, have you noticed particular professions really jumping out as common among the Jeopardy contestants? Teacher. Teacher. I, yeah, I've watched a lot of um, – this might be skewed um, uh, my, in a useful way. Um, I watched a lot of Tournament of Champions, uh-huh. and the, the single occupation that stood out the most was teacher. High school teacher, history, geography, math. The subject didn't, didn't really matter, but I definitely recall a lot of teachers standing out, which makes a certain amount of sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Were there any uh, professions that stood out as very strange? Because there was one person who had the profession, and it was like, "Wow, that's odd." Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, this is again in, in the specific tournament of champions context because this guy, like, you know, had enough money to like uh, buy a house in Montana and then really not do work per se, but then described <laughs> his occup- occupation as a shovel bum. And of course, Alex has to ask what this means, and it's like the basically like. Uh, you go around and you show up for an archaeological dig and just like do manual labor. I'm not even making this. <laughs> this is a real thing. You're just a freelance archaeology intern. Yeah, that's as best <laughs> as I understand. Um, but you don't like. It's like he, the way he described it. It's like kind of like being a ski bum, except with a shovel and archaeological digs. So that's apparently a thing you can do. You can like put that on your tax returns as your occupation. 
So, do you think that they, under, they do you think they are understand the downside risk of someone opening the Ark of the Covenant on their watch? Like, is that, it seems like nothing but horrible things could potentially change your relative situation, right? Like everything's going all well and fine, and then boom, face melted. <laughs> I'll make it a true daily double, Alex. I'll yeah. open up this tomb. <laughs> <laughs> but don't open the Ark of the Covenant. I'll bet it all. I'll bet it all. Oh man. All right, let's play a little Jeopardy, guys. Here's here's your uh, here's your it. category: a song of ice and or fire. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna go down the 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 questions uh, starting at 200. This is oh, I guess this is the wait. Is Double Jeopardy now two four six eight one thousand? Oh wow, that's I feel like that's more than it was when I was a kid. But anyway, uh, a song of ice and or fire for 200. Um, Buzz in, buzz in in Skype. Uh, if there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. This 1990s rap title. Matthew Belinke. Uh, that would be Ice Ice Baby. Oh, but what you is, forgot What to... is Ice Ice Baby? Oh, what is Ice Ice Baby? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's double jeopardy. You got to penalize me. <laughs> uh, um... Seen here. Oh, I I can't show you the visual. Uh, oh, great! Skipping that. The answer to four hundred. Seen here. She had a hit with fire and ice. Anyone know that? Who is Pat- no, these? Are, these are actual Jeopardy questions yeah. that you're reading to us right now. I'm reading them. Yeah, a song of ice and or fire is the category. <laughs> this is Pat Pat Benatar who had a hit with fire and ice. All right, for uh, six hundred. This Adele song says, "When it burned, well." I cried. Pete. What is set fire to the rain? Yes, sir. Pete, for uh-huh. eight, 800. Well, you can choose off the board, but I'm not. I'm just choosing for 800. I'll take the etymology of Smash Brothers character names. For, no, I'll take fire. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, you know, this uh, uh, evil version of a plumber's best friend had a lot of people saying, wow, what? <laughs> Walla, what is Waluigi? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's 800 for uh, A Song of Ice and or, that was a real question. <laughs> no, I made that up. <laughs> a song of ice and or fire. Uh, for 800, Feel That Fire is an album and a single by the country crooner seen here. And you're actually showing us a picture of a country crooner. Uh, and then you yeah, sit around to all at, of us. Look at the sky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's very pensive. He clearly has a lot going on. He's like he's thinking about something, he's but he's also truck issues. Does he? Maybe yeah, he looks like he might have Audi A5. This yeah. isn't how Jeopardy works. You don't get to do commentary. <laughs> he looks like, yeah, he, he <laughs> looks like uh, this is um, no. Who it's, is uh, who is who is it? What? Uh, oh, I, I got it wrong, and I got the. I was going to say. Um, Beep, beep, beep. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Dirks Bentley. And by the That's way, what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this clue, according to j-archive.com, where I'm reading this. The triple from, stumper. This was a triple stumper. Yep. Does that surprise anyone? Because, like, Jeopardy players are not country music fans. Uh and, yeah, I mean it's oh, yeah. Sorry. What are the what are the category what are the categories about? Oh, is there one more, Matt, that you wanted to read? Yeah, one more, one thousand. Okay. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Says a song by this group with Lou Graham and <laughs> Mick Jones, <laughs> Matthew Blinky. 
what is foreigner? Yes, Matthew. For one, I don't need no instructions. I know how to rock. All I can think about is Aqua Teen Hunger Force (laughs) and the belt that gives you the powers of foreigner. Oh yeah, you're hot blooded. (laughs) You're cold as ice. (laughs) And somehow, being a dirty white boy was something, but I forget what that entailed in real life. But Uh, but that, of course, would Aqua Teen Hunger Force show up? It's probably showed up on Jeopardy at some point. Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah, it's probably like when they shut down the city of Boston because of their viral promotion. <laughs> That's probably true. For the Moon Knights, we're probably. Uh, I hope that the answer was what is Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters. Uh, I thought that was the the question, as it were, for Jeopardy. What's the deal with phrasing your answer in the form of a question? Well, yeah, is that the Jeopardy thing? Also, the kind of the danger. There's a whole. Uh, yeah. So I learned this from skimming the Wikipedia article earlier, which means I'm an expert on the topic, nice. um, which is that. Um, at least the way that the story, the the show's uh, creators describe it, is that um, they were trying to find a way. Now, keep in mind the Jeopardy, you know, the, the Trebek version of Jeopardy started in the '80s, but there was a version of it that actually started in the '60s, and they were trying to distinguish it from the uh, quiz show scandals of uh, of earlier years. Um, and they said basically, um, why not have the show uh, kind of flipped in reverse, where you get the answer, then you have to respond in the form of a question. So it was to kind of create that distinction between what came earlier. That being said, though, uh, Jeopardy apparently was not the first game show that had that format. So um, there you have it. It's not that interesting or compelling, really. It's just like... Uh, is is the not? idea like, well, the audience believes that we're giving people the answers, so let's just give them the answers, and then they'll, <laughs> and then they'll buy that the show is actually honest, because every game show gives people the answers, in which case the people on Wheel of Fortune really are terrible if they get all the answers ahead of time. Uh, so so it's... Yeah, because Jeopardy is is more in the model... Is, is the show on TV now that seems to be the most in the model of the old quiz shows from back in the day, from like the movie quiz show, right? Is what you're talking about? Right. Yeah. 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 God, imagine if if there was a Jeopardy scandal and it came out that that was, that it was rigged. Oh, that would crush (laughs) me. The idea that Jeopardy isn't, isn't real or can't be trusted. Yeah. just seems like it would be the, the final domino and some row of dominoes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That, that, uh, it would be, it would be really, really bad. All right, the 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 final um, Jeopardy answer for this uh, for this Ooh, one. Should we final... all write? Should we all write down our, our question? Is that what we're going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Type, type it into type it into Skype. Um, the uh, the category the economy. We'll be back right after this. Overthinking it is brought to you by our members who, <laughs> who want to who uh, support us with a uh, five bucks a month and get some extra podcasts. So uh, if you love the show, if you love what we do, head to overthinkingit.com slash join, become a member of Overthinking It and make sure that this site that you love will never be in jeopardy. And we're back. Systematically important financial institution is an official status known more informally by these four words. Do 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 I won't do the I won't do the whole thing. Does everyone have the thing? All right, Matthew, let's reveal Matthew Belinky, a Matthew Belinky from New York. Let's reveal your answer. Uh, what is too big to fail? You are right. And, and Matt, what did you risk? 
I risk uh, my right to use animated GIFs to express my emotions for the next week. Oh, well, you you uh, <laughs> will definitely have that. So all your friends in the Slack channel will be uh, uh, will be your, going with your sick Jiffy skills. Mark <laughs> Lee, uh, what is your answer? Uh, I'm just going to copy and paste with Matt. <laughs> what is, what <laughs> is too big to fail? You write it during the time. And I, right. And I risk... Uh, the full faith and credit of the United States government. <laughs> <laughs> Glad that one paid off. Finally, Peter Fenzel. <laughs> I wrote, what is Robocop 3? Which is incorrect, unfortunately. And I've wagered everything. So all of existence will soon exist to me. As I have unfortunately been incorrect. Although the, the HBO made for TV movie Too Big to Fail is a delight, and I highly recommend it. Is better than RoboCop three or? Oh yeah, I, I think it is better than RoboCop two. Even it's not. As oh no, them fighting words. Get her alive. It's got Tony Shalhoub and Bill Pullman and Paul Giamatti. What could be worse or better? I mean, both. <laughs> oh, it's a delight. That's funny. The um, uh, the uh. Listener feedback that I would like to get to this episode is from our very own Mark Lee. Mark, you wrote in a comment on an episode of the yeah because I wasn't on the show uh, and I didn't see the movie, so I wanted to participate in some way. The, the, but it's an interesting question about our episode on Vice. We'll do. I'll do another. I never quite managed to make it consistent, but we will uh, gang together a bunch of listener feedback and do uh, do a bunch together because it is a it is a cool thing. Um, now that it's become a little more regular, it's nice to see the comments on the show notes for these episodes uh but mark last last week you wrote in rather were you intentionally pronouncing paprika uk style what what do you mean by that mark what i mean is that when you said the name of the spice in that way i got completely distracted and couldn't follow the conversation at that point because it's like what the f is paprika paprika (laughs) paprika paprika. matt was making a heroin harry met sally joke and i refused to ingratiate him basically right is that what you were doing right i want paprika my paprika or whatever it is that line from that movie matt why why were you why were you saying it that way because really that is how that is how no i wasn't that's how scarlet witch says it to vision when they're cooking at the (laughs) avengers headquarters in uh i think in civil war is when they're they're trying to keep Scarlet Witch there at the at the headquarters. Vision's trying to keep her locked in, but uh, she's not having any of it. But she's making a goulash with paprika or something like this. Uh, that's a good callback. But in real life, Matt, when you're making goulash for yourself without Vision around, you say paprika. Uh, I you know I don't know what I say. I actually haven't made a lot of uh, a lot of goulash recently, and the the hot pepper that I use tends to be uh t- tends to go by the name of like chilies chiles rather than uh rather than uh paprika or paprika or paprika con paprikan uh the the little known parody of the second star trek movie that that might be the least necessary question dodge i have ever heard in my life <laughs> like i'm going to refuse to answer your question <laughs> how i say paprika mark <laughs> <laughs> paprika 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 whatever chile <laughs> i'm also glad that this is what we're child child it's child 
in the whole discussion of Vice, both the form, function, and history associated with that movie, this was the topic that really stuck out for bleary-eyed, you know, like holding an infant in his arms, you know, like uh, like daring the future to come at him. Mark Lee, right? Like, I will protect this child with my life. This is what you had the extra capacity for with regards to the movie Vice. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I also guess I was a fleeting thought of like, gee, I hope like the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan still aren't going on when he's of age to serve in the military. So, yeah, that too. Oh man! And then and then you go on, uh, Mark, in your comment, and I wanted I wanted to bring this up because I feel like this this actually gives us a good scale, a good kind of overthinking it movie scale. Um, we could start recommending movies, like coming down with with a number uh, score for our movies that we talk about on the show. As this, you say, more to the point, I haven't seen this movie. I'm curious to check it out based on this discussion. Where would you all put this in the hierarchy of going out of your way? To watch this. So, one, skip together, not actually worth it. Two, watch the most interesting clips on YouTube when available. Three, watch on a plane when you have fewer choices. Four, watch on HBO or another on-demand service that you've already paid for. Or five, rent it on iTunes or Google Play or Amazon, where you have to pay, uh, you know, three bucks to uh, to rent the movie, three or four bucks. This is an excellent. This is an excellent typology. Uh, Matt and Pete, where would you put Vice on this scale? I don't. I feel like you could watch it on a plane. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't require the big screen. It doesn't require a huge amount of attention it's it's worth seeing but it's a sort of a, a light entertainment yeah I, I would put it as a three i'd maybe bump it up to a four because just because if you're looking at hbo now's movie selection you're probably looking for a movie that's like this rather than for something <laughs> that's like not like this in which case it's probably better than some of your alternatives but i would say it's a three it's there's although i would also say that there's no real reason to look at clips of it on youtube i don't understand why i mean unless you want to watch the danish scene which and that's just expert acting that uh that christian bale does when he holds that danish in his hand it's <laughs> like oh well, he like his hand reaches out to the plate it hovers over the plate uh and then decisively it selects the what was it the like the the lemon danish or something from the from the plate that you know tart and sweet and i think uh i think that says that says it yeah, all the movie should have ended after that scene that says it all <laughs> movie should have ended when the credits rolled for the first time all right uh but we all know that uh if you are caring for an infant child uh you don't want to watch any of those things what you want to watch is Jeopardy. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Matt, Mark, Pete, thanks very much for podcasting. We will be back with more Overthinking It podcast next week. Uh, until, um, what, what is the, uh, <laughs> until then, this level of scrutiny <laughs> is the level of scrutiny that we subject the popular culture to. What is it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't. Good for you. 